All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast where we mostly talk Chicago Cubs baseball, some other MLB nuggets as well. I'm looking forward to bringing you another edition here. We tried this out last week, got some really positive feedback from people. It was cool to hear from a lot of people that checked in on the show, and we're going to keep it rolling here this week. Jeremy Spector is with us tonight. Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. Awesome. Awesome. Jeremy, I've been a little bit worried about you. To be honest, I know oh, really? that uh, the last week has been very stressful for you. As you look ahead to next Friday, oh. University of Illinois and Iowa, Assembly Hall in Champaign. I know At you've State been Farm having Center. night sweats. State Farm Center. No, Assembly Hall. None of that nonsense. I know you've been shaking in your boots a little bit. Lots of nightmares about Luca Garza. However, with the Indiana win last night, maybe you can rest easy that these Hawkeyes are beatable. I, I don't know about that. I feel like the Indiana win is going to put the Hawkeyes on edge, and then they're going to come back a little tougher and harder uh, next week. You know, the line I lost to in a row before mm-hmm. knocking out uh, Penn State. So it's been a little tough. They, they've been off to a few slow starts. They had a slow start against Penn State the first time they played them, but they had a slow, they had a slow start against Northwestern. They kicked their ass. So it's going to be a pretty big game, interesting game. But we beat them last year. I think we could beat them again this year. And I, I think our audience should know that because of this, our podcast next week is going to be delayed because we would be recording while that game is going on. Jeremy being the diva he is, asking us to push things back. Um, but that should be fun. Uh, Let me point out Iowa that you Illinois. brought it up asking if you if I want. I didn't say anything. You brought it up. I'm just happy that Indiana pulled off that win. Obviously, tough times for the Hoosiers, sort of. You know, they're kind of finding their identity. But uh, good to be Iowa. You'll have fun with that next week, and uh, we'll see where that goes. We've got Randall J. Sanders here tonight. Randall, how are you doing? Doing well. Randall, I got a question for you as we get going here. Are you aware of the significance of tonight's podcast? Uh, It is our, are we calling this our second or our third edition of the podcast? So this is the second, and that's a good good hint. This is in many ways the Ryan Terrio of the Behind the Yellow Line pods. Well, you know, you could make a case for the Ryan Terrio being the third edition. You could make a case for it being the seventh edition or the 55th edition. So as we uh, continue this throughout the years and we go through all of Terrio's numbers that he wore in his uh, storied major league career, as I deadpan the word storied, uh, we can call a bunch of them the Terrio edition. And that's uh, something I look forward to very much. Who, who else? Give me some other twos here in recent years. It's a common number. It seems like every year you got a two on the roster. Uh, Tommy Listella was a number two in his time with the Cubs. Uh, it's been a coach's number a fair bit. I want to say maybe Gene Kleins hmm. in the, the mid-2000s was a number two for the Cubs. Uh, you know, I, I don't say it's been a number that maybe hasn't distinguished itself greatly over the years. It's kind of been uh, in and out. Uh, off and on a number of guys and a lot of them coaches but uh, let's let's bring up that career list of number twos for the Cubs and read off some luminaries here so there are some so big names currently big occupied by Nico Horner and I like to think he's going to do good things in that number uh, not counting coaches before him it was on great players like Carlos Gonzalez Mark Zagunis Tommy Listella, who I think was pretty good as a Cub I think he did good work in number two prior to that Cole Gillespie, Ooh, Ian Stewart. Uh, oh gosh! As long as we're as long as we're <laughs> listing, as long I saw as Cole we are Gillespie listing. Cole Gillespie playing college at Oregon State. 
I also uh, saw like five of Carlos Gonzalez's 17 Cubs games. Terry wore it for the majority of his time as a Cub, 2007, 2010. And then I, I am pretty sure it was a, a coach's number for a number of years before that, because the last player to wear it before Ryan Terrio was an individual by the name of Felix Furman in 1996, a wow. utility infielder whose uh, name I do not especially recognize. I, I do not know Felix Furman. No, he played that does nothing for me. Let, let's get some totals here. He played 11 games for the 1996 Chicago Cubs. He was a shortstop and a second baseman. And he did absolutely nothing noteworthy in those uh, 11 games. So perhaps the less said about Mr. Furman, the better. <laughs> and, you know, some other big names over the years. I, I pulled up here too. Awesome website, Randall. I know you're a, a frequent visitor. Cubsbythenumbers.com. Do you know the guy who runs that? Are you connected with him at all? Because it's an awesome uh, I site. Am, I am familiar with Mr. Ignarski. We have uh, chatted about the Cubs and numbers on a number of occasions. Uh, we do share information as we get it involving Cubs numbers, if I get something, I pass it along to him. And usually if he's gotten something that I haven't, he will do the same for me. Uh, so yes, I am uh, familiar with Mr. Ignarski's work on Cubs by the numbers. By the way, it's, it's I, a cool site. I think we should point out just as a little promo for Randall, he is one of the guys behind uh, the uh, Twitter handle. Was it baseball number, baseball digits? Numbers. MLB. No, no numbers. MLB. Sorry. Yes. Which, is actually a very good handle, uh, excuse me, very good Twitter feed if you're looking for baseball numbers, all the transactions, all the number changes. It's a pretty big deal. You see it cited a lot. Uh, totally. Uh, we, we have, we have uh, spread quite a bit in the last two years. Yes, we've been cited by at various times the Sporting News and uh, The Athletic. So we have that going for us. Yeah, it's something that I think fans build a lot of loyalty, obviously, to players over the years. But you build like a connection to some of these numbers too. And I, you know, I was looking at the number two number. There are some pretty interesting names over the years too. Rick Wilkins, big time backstop in the early nineties with the Cubs. He wore number two. Giovanni uh, Soto Law. before there was a Giovanni Soto. Man, Rick Wilkins had some big power numbers. Was it 93? Rick Wilkins, 1993, I think. It's just absolutely insane. It's, you look at his career and then 93 is just like, what happened there? It's amazing. Uh, even historically, Gabby Hartnett wore it. Exactly in, uh, right. And 19, the other name that... 1940. Totally. The other name that jumped out to me was Leo Drosher, 1969. Mm. Obviously the manager of that squad, multiple winning seasons with the Cubs there in the late 60s and into the early 70s. There is one name though that... So anytime I'm pulling up like old names and numbers, and I got to preface this by saying something too. We do have some Cubs stuff to talk about that's a little more current some roster transaction things. But, you know, right now with the Cubs, a lot of things are pretty crappy. A lot of what we're going to be talking about, in fact, later in this, is guys that are no longer on the Cubs, that have signed deals with other teams that have been iconic for the last couple of years. But when I dig up old numbers and things, I always like to kind of harken back to, I mean, for us, the 90s was the beginning of really getting a grasp of who these guys were. Into the 2000s was our core. But I like to see the guys from long before I was watching before I could pay attention. And I got a pretty interesting story here. This guy, Tony Jacobs, who in 1948 for the Cubs wore number two. And I just want to share something really quick on him. The Cubs signed him as an amateur free agent in 1946. And this guy's major league career, I was looking at it today, it just blew my mind. So he gets to the majors with the Cubs in 1948. He appears in one game at Brooklyn, gives up a home run, pitches two innings, he's gone. He doesn't resurface in Major League Baseball 
until 1955, where he's a St. Louis Cardinal. He plays one game at Wrigley Field against the Cubs, gives up a couple of runs in two innings, is never seen in the major leagues again. So this guy's entire major league career is two games over seven years, both involving the Cubs. When he was on the Cubs, losing at Brooklyn. When he was a Cardinal, losing at Wrigley Field, second game of the season in 1955, never again. And that guy is part of the lore of number two in Cubs history. It's, I think that stuff's awesome. That's pretty amazing. He's like it's a, a, yeah. it's a tapestry. It's a tapestry. And there are very interesting threads that weave in and out, depending on where you look. Randall, I got one more note on this guy I want to pass on because I think it's pretty interesting. His first year in affiliated ball at the Cubs was at the team called the Hutchinson. I'm sorry, the Hutchinson Cubs. Randall, where did they play? You should know this. Hutchinson. Hutchinson. God. Boy, Hutchinson, I, I, yeah. Hutchinson. Ohio? Uh, you know, I'm I, disappointed. I, I, can I guess? Well, yes, Jeremy, please. I'm going to say Kansas. Kansas. And Randall, Kansas. you know, the, as a former Jayhawk, Randall, I expect you to know these things. You know, you're but right. But in 1946. I should have known Hutchin, Hutchinson, Kansas. This guy, Tony Jacobs, is on the 1946 Hutchinson Cubs. They were a C-level minor league team. They ended up winning the Western Association Championship this year. And the thing that I thought was neat was the manager of that team was a guy named Dickie Kerr, who won two games in the 1919 World Series for the Chicago Black Sox. And I just thought this is amazing, like like five minutes falling down the baseball reference rabbit hole. And you've got these amazing stories of guys over, you know, 50 years in baseball doing these things. I thought that was cool. It's all connected. It's all connected. That is pretty crazy. I think that's pretty cool. Those reference so webs. you just, you fall down the rabbit hole with that. And I thought the number two, Ryan Terrio, we had to look back at the old days. Um, the other reason, Randall, why this is a significant pod is today we are recording this on the 22nd of January. So obviously some symbolism there for you. Um, but on today's show, lots to talk about. Again, we want to go into some of the transactions that have happened over the last week or so. Unfortunately, in nearly all of these instances, these are former Cubs, in some instances, uh, World Series champions that are now going elsewhere. Lester, uh, Schwarber in D.C., Quintana to the Angels, Chatwood to Toronto. The Cubs have made some moves. We're going to look at that. A minor league deal for Shelby Miller. Also, Austin Romine gets $1.5 million to hopefully be the backup catcher. We'll get into that. And some Major League Baseball stuff, too, some odds and ends. But I think we got to start with John Lester because I don't know if there's any player, Randall, that epitomizes what the Cubs were for the last six years than John Lester and in him coming in as a free agent really signaled let's roll like this team's ready to win you know we've tried in the past but it's impossible to say enough about John Lester and what he did for this team and I'm sure we've touched on it once or twice but as you said he signaled to all the rest of the league and to Cubs fans that the Cubs were ready to start spending money and they were ready to start succeeding and what they paid him, it wasn't enough for what he did in a Cubs uniform, for what he brought to the team and what he helped push them to do. And to, to see him leave is difficult. And uh, I couldn't more wish him all the best going forward. Yeah, I still remember when uh, they signed him. Uh, it was pretty late at night. We're, uh, winter meetings were either in California or Las Vegas, somewhere out West Coast. And there was the Rosenthal tweet. I think it was something like source Lester picks Cubs or something. Uh, late at night and it was a pretty big deal I always thought that in that offseason that the Cubs were sitting pretty pretty with him um, pretty pretty but uh, you know they had Theo they had Jed 
guys at New Leicester, they he was the one that didn't have the draft pick compensation because the trade to Oakland, unlike Scherzer. So I, I I thought that was the guy. I thought that, but like he came in, he had struggled a little bit the first year, but as Randall said, like he did everything. He took the ball every fifth day. He, very limited missed time, if any. I know I think he had a little bit, but he was just a bulldog on the mound. I still remember him getting into the umps like in April, May of 2015. So as he was great in the world, uh, in the playoffs, one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. Yeah. So John Lester, I, I loved him, uh, you know, for nostalgia's sake, I'd love it if he got his 200th win as a cub. I think he's a little over the hill. I think he's a little bit done. So I'm not super sad to see him go, but it, 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 as for the end of the era, a guy who did so much, it's sad about that. But I, for John I, Lester, ball player in 2021 i'm not super bad about (laughs) yeah i I know what you're saying there and i'm and i'm with you like it's bittersweet at this point um on one hand it would have been great for them to be in a different situation where if he could come back cheap as the five maybe it would have been a good fit in 2021 but it's been pretty obvious that since his all-star campaign in 2018 there's been a decline in production the strikeouts for example are way down you know you look at his first two years with the cubs jeremy you brought up a good point 200 innings every year, right around 200 strikeouts every year, those first two years, the two years after that, at least 180 innings and was at least in the uh, 2017, giving you about a strikeout an inning. But since that time, that number has dropped drastically. What I didn't want to see from John Lester was a clearly aging, clearly skill set declining John Lester pitching for a mediocre Cubs team and a half empty Wrigley field this year. Like, I don't want to see that. So on that hand, I am kind of relieved that he's not going to be back next year. Um, But you can't say enough about his accomplishments in his time in Chicago. He came in to take that team over the top. And we knew at the end of 2014, the Cubs were close. Javi was up and doing awesome things. Soler was up. Chris Bryant was about to be the minor league player of the year. Like everything was coming together. That was the off season to make a big signing. And they did the right thing. They brought in John Lester and obviously he had ties to Theo, but he, he brought a sense of urgency, maybe to that clubhouse, a guy who had been there before and he set the tone. And I don't think there was a guy in that locker room who didn't look up and respect John Lester. No, they had the party at his house after they won the world series. They all went to uptown, hung out with John Lester's Eddie Vedder was there playing the guitar. You know, I was all about that. Jeremy um, was there in spirit. You could, I see wish him. I was, yeah, you could see him looking down being like, I, I wish I could be, but here. Lester, Lester, man, those first two years, I know the first year got off to a rocky start, but those first two years, he was great. He was great. I, I, the one thing about Lester, I do feel like he tailed off a little bit quicker, quicker than I anticipated 2017. He was solid, but not anywhere like he was in 50 and 18, I know he was an all-star that year, but it seemed a little fluky to me. He, he had already shown some, and the last two years, last year, he was. I, I didn't expect him to be as bad as he was. I didn't think he was be good, but he kind of fell off pretty quickly. His fastball velocity dropped real fast. Like he went from first couple of years at the Cubs, he was averaging like 92 miles an hour as fastball to going to. I feel like he was under 90 by 2018, just maybe touching 90, like. There was a lot of fastball velocity drop. Arietta had that too I, when he was on the Cubs, who maybe we'll get to talk about later because he has a showcase coming up, whether or not the Cubs should be interested in him. But I love John Lester. I love everything he did for the Cubs. He was a man. They paid him $155 million. You know, like I said, he might have dropped off pretty fast, but he brought the World Series to Chicago. He was, he should have been the winning pitcher that day. 
or Hendrick should have been the winning pitcher that day, but he was there on the mound. He probably should have gotten the hold and save and all that. But um, he he was just a beast. And number 34, the big 34, him and Woody, they should put up, uh, at least give him a little, or Woods got a little flag, but at least give Lester a little flag. Um, so I, 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 nothing more you could say about John and what he did for the Cubs. I hope he continues to be around Chicago, even in the future. Jeremy, real quick, uh, going back to something you said earlier, it was in fact a late night uh, announcement, 12, 19 AM, mm-hmm. December 10th, 2014. So, yeah. I remember being on Twitter. Yeah. So, you know, it, it very much kind of a, in a lot of ways, kind of a modern encapsulation of the big free agent and news breaks of his signing late at night overnight. And the people like us who, who are night owls and scour the airwaves for things like this, we were excited at the time. And then another thing uh, we've touched on, he did struggle a little bit in 2015. And there were people who were very quick to write him off based on a half season or a, a couple months. And it, it's, it, it's not surprising the extent to which he proved those people wrong, but it is funny. Um, just remember the first half of 2015 the entire thing was john lester can't pick anybody off everybody's gonna steal on him why would you ever pay this much money for a pitcher who can't throw to first and he had no issues for the next six years anybody like going at him because he was so quick to the plate a lot of very silly narratives being written Mm -hmm. over the course of those few months uh something i think would be interesting to touch on ian Happ, a very thoughtful individual he suggested that they retire number 34 for I assume he meant for John Lester. Hap, I assume, is aware enough that he probably is aware Kerry Wood wore the number as well. I'll put that to the two of you. The Cubs have, uh, I think, uh, a very clear threshold for number retirement uh, that you need to be in the Hall of Fame. Santo was an exception. A, with his health issues, they weren't sure at the time maybe how much longer he'd be around, so they wanted to give him a chance to see his number being raised, and he should have been in the Hall of Fame at that point anyway. Everyone else is, is uh, a clear-cut case. They were all in the Hall of Fame or uh, about to be by the time the Cubs retired their number. Would you have them retire number 34 for a pair of Cubs who had storied careers in Cubs uniforms but are probably not Hall of Famers? I would not. No, I, I, I love the fact that it is very, very difficult to get your number retired as a Chicago Cub. I think it should be that way, and, and I think quite a few teams – just throw it around flippantly in an attempt to have history or to add some type of mystique to their team. I think the better thing to do is to give it like a, what should have happened to 21, to be honest with you. It's very, very difficult to get that number. It's something that you earn. It's almost like a, like a captain's patch type of a thing for the team where you've got to earn that number 34, 21 should not be on guys like junior Lake, right? Sammy Sosa hit a lot of home runs. Yeah, Jason Marquis. That that's that's really offensive, actually. One year so I would not retire. Chapel. Yeah, I mean, I would not retire thirty four, but I would say, you know, you got to be a special breed to to end up taking that, and that should be a number that, you know, I, I see the value in retiring numbers. There's also value in carrying a tradition by wearing a number that carries significance for a team. So I don't want it going out to uh, Austin Romine or anything like that, but <laughs> make sure that it's a, either a big time free agent signing or someone who uh, like, like if, a, if a, obviously Anthony Rizzo has made his number, his own as a cub, but somebody like that who makes their name as a cub who wants to carry on that number moving forward. No, I, I agree with you. I, I do like the standard of being in the hall of fame. In fact, Maybe there should be other Hall of Famers that play for the Cubs. I'm looking at Ian Happ's number eight. It should be up in the rafters. But 
as I mentioned before, I, I would like one of those little flags above, you know, yeah, the grandstand that you know would KW on twenty on the back, and there's a Sammy sixty six, and I think Lester did a lot to contribute to a World Series championship team. I wouldn't mind seeing something something there to recognize him um, as the person that he was and how important he was to that ball club. No, I'm, I'm in full agreement with the two of you. I think, I, th- I think it's important to honor the number. Um, I think maybe putting up a little, a little pennant over the, the grandstand with number 34 is the right way to do it. And I would also be for the establishment of maybe ty- a ring of honor type thing where you honor a number and the player or players who wore it, but you definitely don't retire it. And I think Ronan's idea of not taking it out of circulation, but maybe ensuring that it's not issued indiscriminately is the right way to go because I, I remember uh, Lester coming over from Oakland and then Boston before that he was a career number 31 with those two teams and obviously he wasn't going to wear that here and there was some question of what number will he take and I remember him putting on that number 34 jersey at his introductory press conference that day and I remember saying wow that's a really big number to wear as a member of the Chicago Cubs and I think he's lived up to that so I would be all for honoring that number 34 without retiring it were there many i'm not thinking were there many 34s in between wood and uh, there's Luster? at least one jeff gray, gray right yeah oh, jeff, jeff gray. gray okay jeff gray yeah and he may Which have been awful. he may have been the only one and in fact between carrie wood and john lester was in fact one year i mean there was only gray. about five years or four years right uh so it wasn't a lot of time is in his brief time away from the cubs with the uh with the indians and the yankees uh yes jeff gray wore it in 2010 carrie wood reclaimed it when he came back in 2011 and 2012 and then of course retired uh mid-season. so there were none in between wood and Lester. uh so yes in, in between, jeff ted Ward before after but when wood came back Wood's the second time second stint as a cub and john lester there were no number 34s. I mean, yeah, it was only like three so, years, but there yeah. were so no. So as, as Ronan said, I'd be in favor of honoring it and finding a way to do that without retiring it. I think that's the right thing to do. And I would be I, in favor of them doing that with 21. Because I think if you get into what the Yankees do, where you retire the number of anybody who had a good postseason with you, you, you start running into, okay, so who do you honor next? And I think if you were to, on, to retire outright 34, you'd start getting into, well, do you retire 17 for Mark Grace? Um, you start getting into a lot of other guys who had extended storied careers with the Cubs, but there's legitimate question of, should you give them kind of the ultimate number honor of retiring that number? So I'm, I'm in agreement with the two of you. I think you should honor it without retiring it. I just would like to point out that the Yankees, they have a lot of amazing baseball players. So all the yes. numbers retired are a lot of hall of famers. Right. And, and I'm not so much looking there. There's other franchises, right. the Tampa Bay Devil Ray, when the Devil Rays retired. Um, uh, Wade Boggs. Wade Boggs. Uh, that stuff, that I don't really? like that at all. Um, I also want to note that there have been 13 people to wear 21 since Sammy Sosa, including the, Colvin? The, Did you the list him? of names yeah. is terrible. Uh, so Jason Marquis, Milton Bradley, Tyler Colvin, Luis Bel- Bel- Valbuena, rest in peace. R.I.P. Uh, Joe Mather, Scott Hairston, Junior Lake, Tommy Hunter, Mark Zagunis, Tyler Chatwood, Tony Kemp, Anthony Iapachi, and uh, Steven Souza Jr. That's awful that all of those people have gotten to wear number 21 well, since a couple the of them band, were coaches. Sammy. Oh, yeah, I, I, well, maybe just, 
21 is a very important number for an entire generation of Cubs fans, particularly in our timeline. And I just, the disrespect for Sammy, that's always been something that's bothered me since he left at the end of 04. And uh, I, I don't get it with Tom Ricketts. I don't get it with the current ownership, the disdain that they have for a guy who put so many people in those seats for 90 lost teams is horrible. And you don't see the Giants disrespecting Barry Bonds, right? You don't see the Cardinals disrespecting Mark McGuire. Sammy doesn't owe anybody anything in terms of an apology, and he needs to be at Wrigley Field. So, Tom Ricketts, you've done nothing productive this offseason except bring in Boog. That was a good one. Everything else has sucked. Bring back Sammy. Make it right, because this is horrible. People like Tyler Colvin shouldn't be wearing 21. I, I just like to go – I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but just to go on to what you're saying – I to me it's always worse because not only did Tom Ricketts some, for some reason feels like Sammy owes him an apology even though Tom Ricketts had nothing to do with anything that existed when Sammy was there, but you go to Wrigley and they're they are always playing Sammy highlights on the scoreboard always and yet they won't include him in anything and to me it's like you can't do you all the Sammy stuff and then not and include him. You can't have your cake and eat exactly. it. Exactly, they to- market him you're going to market him it's time to let him back you look on twitter feed and highlights and little clips they play they market sammy in clips and then they're like well he's not welcome right i'll tell you right now the day that they work it out whenever that happens i hope it happens while sammy's still uh, alive i will be on an airplane i'm flying home i am at wrigley field I don't care what it takes to get into the ballpark that day. I'm going to be there to honor Sammy because it's horrible. You will, uh, and you the will city charter, loves it. You will charter a jet. You'll parachute into Wrigley Field with a big. I'll number be coming 20, in hot. Big number <laughs> oh, twenty-one Sammy, parachute. I mean, I'm not going to say Sammy's the greatest guy in the world. You know, there's got a lot of whatever. But I also think he got a pretty raw deal. I mean, on a lot of things. First of all, he's never had any of this like actual steroid linkage that other people have had, like. People have come out and said, like, the one thing he had was that he was on the list in 03, which Rob Manfred himself says that got leaked, even though it was supposed to be destroyed, and it got leaked. And Rob Manfred himself said, you can't take any word, you can't take anything about that list. When David Ortiz was on that list, he's like, you can't look at that list. That list means nothing. And then he had the thing where he was in Congress, and he was like, I talk Spanish. Of course he talked in Spanish. He's sitting there testifying in front of Congress in a foreign country. If you put me in the Dominican, I'm not – I'm letting my lawyer talk because I'm not speaking Spanish. I don't want that. They went after Barry Bonds and they're going to go after Sammy. Like, of course, what do you mean? All these people are like, Oh, he got out. Like, come on. Think about it. Realistic. Your lawyer, you don't speak the language. Yeah. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. And you got Bud Selig, the commissioner who oversaw all of that in the hall of fame and guys like Sammy who can't even be welcomed back to Wrigley Field. It just it really pisses me off. And it's a stain on the organization. I mean, Sammy is Cubs history. He's a legacy player. And uh, we're going to come back to that. We got a lot yeah. of Sammy certainly over the coming weeks. He was as big of an impact on all of us as fans of this team and the generation that we grew up watching. And I'm going to fight for him, man all the way to the end. But Lester gets $5 million one year to go to the nation's capital. A couple former Cubs he's going to see there. Starlin Castro's there. Kyle Schwarber gets a one year, 10 million. It's, it's sort of a, there's a buyout option for that second year, but it's essentially one ten at least off the bat. And well, that changes the things in DC. You got Schwarber and left Soto moves to right. And a lot of home runs coming from that Nats outfield next year. Just, just to what last, how Lester fits into the Nats. The one thing about Lester is 
the defense behind him is not going to be good. And he's getting, he's a guy who needs good defense behind him in his current state. Cause a lot of ground balls, like they always used to say, I remember when he first was on the Cubs, he really liked having Javi cause Javi was at second. He really liked having Javi at third base because he liked having Javi, cause he would get all those ground balls and he liked Javi to be able to cover it back when, you know, Castro was playing short or Russell, but uh, he's going to have a bad defense in both the infield and the outfield only because Schwarber and Soto and then some of the guys they have around the infield. So like uh, yeah. I feel for John Lester. Robles, Robles in center out there yeah. is going to be he's going to cover a lot of ground. Very busy individual. and <laughs> all Good luck with that. And, you know, it's feeling like a lot of the Cubs are going out to the nation's capital. Starlin's out there. Uh, Davey's out there. We were seeing just before we went on here, Henry Blanco's on the coaching staff. Michael Barrett, the uh, man who punched A.J. Pruszynski and got our buddy Ray Blunts all riled up. He's out there as a coaching coordinator. It, it's just, it's interesting. A lot he also of Cubs punched Zambrano. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Barrett was an equal opportunity puncher. Yeah. He'd punch you whether you were on his, his team or the other team. I have a Michael Barrett uh, – bobblehead from after they traded him and then like the next day i got a carlos ambrano bobblehead him right next to each other and they're sitting next to each other yeah yeah. (laughs) like rock'em sock'em's on your uh really you know who they traded michael barrett for uh rob bowen and who they traded rob bowen for jason kendall within like two months it it was a very quick it was a lot less time than that because rob bowen was only a cub for about a minute yeah Yeah, that's one two catchers that 2007 season was uh, a very interesting season yeah, I was at the game where Michael Bear got like run over. They lost in like 13 innings to the Mariners, and then they traded him like the next day because like he kind of like he had the ball to get the this out in the 13th inning. Then he got run over, dropped it, and he was gone. <laughs> he was run right out of the stadium. Yeah. Um, looking at another uh, transaction here over the last week, another Cub who goes and and kind of goes with some mixed feelings here. Uh, Jose Quintana, a guy who the Cubs clearly gave up a lot for trying to get back to the world series in 2017. We, we all know about that. If you talk to any white Sox fans, you're going to hear about it for the next 15 years. I think Quintana comes to the Cubs. We know it was sort of mixed bag over the last couple of years. He gets one year, 8 million to rejoin Joe Madden in Anaheim. Randall, when you look back on the Quintana time with the Cubs, there was some good. He helped him advance to a final four in that first year in the, in the championship series, but boy, in the grand scheme of things, it felt like that one didn't quite reach its full maximum. Uh, yeah. You know, Quintana's time, I don't want to say inconsistent because he, he was fairly consistent. Um, he, he simply never quite lived up to what the trade price was for him. And it, it's possible that a guy who is, who was a good pitcher, but was never a great pitcher was never going to live up to what you gave up for him. And I think context matters a lot here. Uh, you know, I thought the Cubs were going to get Verlander as their, their, their starting pitcher acquisition in 2017. And uh, Quintana was the, uh, the acquisition instead. Um, you know, Quintana, there, there was, as you said, there was good. He helped him get back to the playoffs in 2017. His first start right out of the break in 2017 was brilliant. Seven innings. I want to say 12 or 13 strikeouts granted against the Orioles, but still a great way to make a, an impression on your first team or a, an impression on your new team in your first start. But he simply never lived up to what that trade price was. And uh, on the occasions where he did get blown up, which did happen more than a few times, it, it magnifies that just like a, a player who is highly paid 
is going to be under more scrutiny. A player whom you give up a lot for in trade is going to be under that same scrutiny, especially maybe even more so because money can't go to another team and produce for them the way other players can. And uh, I know a lot of people were really not fans of watching Quintana be okay, but not great while Eloy uh, Jimenez was uh, doing great things with the bat for the White Sox and also running into walls and getting caught in nets and doing what he does uh, defensively out there. Um, so I think it, maybe a lot of it wasn't his fault. He certainly didn't trade for himself. Um, just by virtue of being good but not great, he never quite lived up to that trade cost. But I do wish him the best in uh, Anaheim. Uh, you know, I'm sure he's happy to reunite with Madden. And uh, all the best to him. What issues he had, I think, were not entirely his fault. And sports are not fair like that sometimes. Uh, so all the best to him. He, I don't think the Cubs make the playoffs in 2017 if they don't make that trade. He was their best pitcher in the second half of that season, as you mentioned, that game in Baltimore. He also – the Brewers were doing pretty good, I, if I recall, at the time of the trade, and he shut the Brewers down that whole second half. Uh, Ron and I, we went to a game in Milwaukee where we all had a good time at, and it's true. <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I remember Jason Hayward having an amazing catch. It was a little bit of a frustrating game, but, uh, you know, we were up there, and then he he was so good against the Brewers that in 2018, down the stretch, they were like, Quintana's the guy against the Brewers and didn't quite work out that way. There were a couple games late in September that he didn't do so good, and then he started game 163, where somehow Orlando Arcia is the best player in the world. Um, that was at, you know, so, but I, 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 Quintana, for the most part, he was solid. He had some struggles. He, I still think he was a pretty good pitcher. I know we give a lot about what the Cubs gave up one, cause it was to the White Sox who are on the upswing Two because a lot of people make a big deal about prospect rankings and all that stuff. But I mean, we got a lot of, he got some production from Quintana. You look at what we gave up. Eloy obviously has a special bat. I think he's going to be a very good hitter. I think he's probably a DH. Dylan Cease, um, he's got to find it. Like, I know there's a lot of – he's got great stuff, but he had some major issues last year in walk-in. Maybe I'm just being biased as a Cubs fan, but he's got to find the plate a lot more. And so, uh, you know, the trade was what it was. Cubs made these playoffs, what, three – I have four years he was here. Yep. Unfortunately, last year he sliced his hand in the weirdest way, washing a wine glass. So we didn't really get to make an impact on this team last year. And I thought he could have. Um, they needed him probably because they kind of no had doubt. some struggles. But the one thing, Randall, you may have mentioned about Verlander. And if we remember in 2017 when the trade was made, um, not that I didn't want Verlander, I did want Verlander. But that was a lot of money to take on for a Verlander who was struggling at the time. And I do remember when they made the trade, there were reports that he had like kind of refound what his velocity and stuff like that. But Quintana and Q kind of fits the mold of what the Cubs have been looking at for pitchers. Like he's not a guy that throws hard. He's not yeah. a guy that strikes out. Like that's just, he's kind of a, not, I wouldn't call him a soft tosser, but nobody in the Cubs threw hard. And for some, and for some reason, like this was their thing. They thought, that this is and it's kind of fit into how they drafted too. It's like they had this whole draft where they were looking for guys that like were safe kind of, and they had to tear that whole thing down over the last two years. They, they like, we failed at drafting pitchers. We're completely going guys that we would never have considered taking 
we're taking now. You look at Ryan Jensen, I believe their first round pick from a couple years ago. He's all funky, but he throws like 100 miles an hour. That's a guy they never would have taken in the past. So Quintana kind of fits that. And I'm it kind of like we still see it with Zach Davies and Alec Mills and Kyle Hendricks and John Lester was kind of faltering. And they're always like, well, these guys just know how to pitch. So something that worries me um, a lot because maybe it's just growing up in the Larry Rothschild era where every kid out of the bullpen is throwing 95 miles time. We're leading the league in strikeouts every year. That has not been the case under the Theo, now Jed Hoyer Cubs. No. And so and that's it's just an interesting philosophy because it's, it's kind of a zag towards what everybody's doing. Everybody's finding guys that throw 98, 99, and the Cubs have not been doing that. Uh, uh, funny. Funny side note about Verlander versus Quintana in retrospect. After they traded for Quintana in the, the year or so after that, uh, the, the line was, well, if you had traded for Verlander, you wouldn't have signed Darvish. And wow, you wouldn't have had Darvish to trade away in a salary dump uh, three years after signing him. So it, it's all a moot point now. Yeah. But it, it, is, it is funny how that ended up turning the out. The Cubs wanted, wanted the Astros to pay down Verlander, and the Astros weren't willing to pay enough money. Because as I said – at the time, Verlander's contract was a big contract, and he was not performing as much. And he got through the waiver wire deadline in August, which doesn't exist anymore. But that was – the Cubs were – because Verlander said he wanted to go to the Cubs, and he was basically holding out until he got a deal. And he accepted the Astros deal at the last second. Cause, but the Cubs, they wanted the Astros to pay more money because he was – and then he went to the Astros, and whatever the Astros do, who knows what they're doing, they got some good grip on the ball, I guess but he's been dominant since. Yeah. And you know, something about Quintana that I think is overlooked is before this past year, which what sucked about last year in that fluke injury is that you win a 60 game season. You don't have time for an injury. You miss a couple of weeks and you miss the whole damn season at that point in time is that he did make every start. The other, the rest of the time that he was with the cub cubs, he had 32 starts in 2018, 31 starts in 2019. And those were years where guys like John Lester were beginning to run out of gas. They were starting to go on that downturn and the cubs needed another arm to step up. So I think that you got to understand the Cubs and Sox were in very different places. They had different sets of priorities when that trade took place. I'm with you, Jeremy. I don't think the Cubs make the NLCS in 2017 without Quintana. They don't get to that point. They were this close to the world series again. And he was a big part of that. It ended up getting away from them over the last two years or so. He's now gone to Anaheim, but it just, it just kind of stinks. Not everything's going to work out perfectly. This one burns more because of the White Sox, more so, I agree with you, Eloy, than Cease. But um, it was, I, stu- I still think, I know where Theo was coming from with this move. It definitely helped them in 17. It just kind of sucks. It didn't totally pan out perfectly. Not every trade's going to be an Arietta type of a steal. It's just how it goes. Yeah, that's one of the things. It's like up until 2016, it's like the Cubs hit on every trade. Every move they made worked out. And after that, it hasn't really been that way. It's been some trades have worked out, some trades haven't. But the one, you know, honestly, I don't mind this trade as much. I know we have a disagreement on the Chapman trade, I think that one to me was more, way more of an overpay and one that bothers me a lot more. I know World Series, all that stuff, just disagreement, but Glaver Torres for three months of a role to Chapman, two months to me is a little bit different. We could go back and forth with that for, we have been for five years, but, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, so like I'm not, Eloy, obviously he's a good player. He's going to be in the White Sox for, a long time. I believe he just signed a contract extension, 
uh, last year or maybe the year before. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think because it's the White Sox, it hurts a little more. I feel like if Aloy was playing for another team, if it, let's say we did make a trade with like Houston or Detroit, uh, I don't think people would be holding it against Q as much as they are now. It's a matter of visibility. There, mm-hmm. yeah. There's no way for him to be out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people if he's raking for the White Sox for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. And uh, in a couple of weeks here, our buddy Ray Blunts is going to join us to talk White Sox. And I'm sure he will remind us about the Quintana trade. I get calls from him a couple times a week, long conversations. And about every four weeks, there's the, so tell me what happened with the Quintana trade. And I'm sick of talking about it. So we'll get him on here. We'll talk to him about it. And uh, best wishes certainly to Quintana. He goes to Anaheim. He'll see Victor Caratini down there. He'll see Joe Madden down there. And, um, you know, Anaheim's got an interesting team. He gets to hang out with Mike Trout. He gets to live in Southern California. That's a pretty good deal, I would imagine. And uh, best wishes to him. Another Cub on the move. This one made me chuckle as much as anything. Tyler Chatwood, the former Rocky, former Cub, goes to Toronto. Chatwood comes to the Cubs ahead of 2018. Total dumpster fire. Got it kind of figured out last year in a relief role mostly, um, but it just sort of interesting that he can command $3 million at this point in time after a really rough stint in Chicago. Well, he was terrible. <laughs> Let's just get that out of the way. I saw him in 2018. Like every game I went to apparently was every fifth day. Cause I saw Tyler Chatwood pitch. Like I felt like every day from April to June before he finally got demoted. I and call it was, that, uh, Edwin Jackson. It Edwin. was awful. It was absolutely awful. But let me, let me say this. The Tyler Chatwood, that for the most part pitched and he was only like five games um, heavily skewed by that one star in Kansas city, which kind of got away from him. He was pretty solid. He started the season. He looked pretty good. He was getting strikeouts. He had, uh, he had much better command, obviously. And, And so if you're extrapolating that into what you can get next year, let I personally, I think the, the Chatwood deal is a better deal than the Lester deal because I think Lester is over the hill. I don't think Lester is going to be much of a contributor for Washington, but I think there's still stuff in Tyler Chatwood. He still has great stuff. He, you know, I was not a big Tyler Chatwood fan, the signing in general. I didn't think it was that big of a deal because three years, 33 million. I'm like 11 million a year. It's the Cubs. We got so much money in the world. You know, obviously that's not true, but, um, or supposedly, as Tom Ricketts will tell you. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I was not a huge fan of it because he walked so many batters, and so I was kind of anti it. But I, I do think there's still stuff left in there for Toronto, who made the big George Springer splash. So I'm not – I think $3 million, it's, it's not a bad sign to me. I, I would take a gamble on Tyler Chatwood for $3 million. The, the number that jumps out at me for Chatwood, looking at his, uh, his walks per nine and his strikeouts per nine, 2018, we all remember what the issue was there. In fact, he led, uh, I want to say, the National League – uh, yes, he led. I'm sorry, he led major leagues. In he had like walks. 98 walks and 105 95 walks in 95 walks in uh, innings pitch, uh, 100, 103 and two thirds innings in 2018. Yeah. His walks per nine that season in 2018, 8.2. Uh, that dropped to an identical 4.3 walks per nine for both 2019 and 2020. Um, you know, that's your improved number is 4.3 walks per nine. But uh, his strikeouts per nine started 7.4 in 2018 
And even in the, the, the limited sample size this year, 12.1 strikeouts mm-hmm. per nine in 2020. Uh, as you pointed out, Chatwood's a guy who's got great stuff. He'll, he'll pump mid to upper 90s in there with great movement. And his seeming inability to find the strike zone upon arriving in Chicago, uh, it, it was disappointing. And again, the money, it wasn't big, but it was probably an easy excuse for them to avoid making other moves or jettisoning him completely because that is a fair bit of money just to eat. Um, you know, he, he goes on the pile of free agent signings who may have made sense at the time, um, and it just didn't work out. And, you know, another guy who was a free agent around that same time, I want to say Jahuli Shasin, who ended up going to the Brewers, he flamed out pretty quickly. It's not necessarily as if the Cubs, uh, maybe in the case of, like in the case of Verlander versus Quintana, maybe picked the wrong horse versus another guy who went somewhere and did markedly better for a longer time. He was a free agent signing that simply didn't work out. And those happen, even to the best front offices. The issue is you have to hit on it, it's you have to be able to hit on another free agent signing or another promotion or acquisition to make up for that. And the Cubs were never really able to make up for what Chatwood didn't give them. Darvish was hurt for much of 2018. Um, and right around the time that Chatwood was maybe rounding back into form. Darvish was doing the same and Chatwood just became kind of an extra piece where you got him innings where you could. So he, you know, a free agent signing that didn't work out. And again, if some other things had gone better, I don't think we would have, uh, we'd be talking about him quite as much in the negative as we are. He was just about as frustrating though, of a player to watch uh, as frustrating of a free agent signing to watch. And when I, when I think about Chatwood too, I moved out to Denver in 2015 and in 2016, I saw a lot of Rockies games. He was pretty darn good. It was his best year actually in the majors. He was a two war player starting pitcher. Um, and I was talking to Rockies fans, my buddy, Rich Allen, who's a, a sports reporter in St. George. He was saying, man, he get this guy out of Coors field. He is going to pop. Everything is there. The spin rate, the, the arm, like he's got everything that you need. You just got to get him out of that circus ballpark, of course, field, you know, for a pitcher. He comes to the Cubs and he just can't find the strike zone. And uh, we'll see what he does in Toronto. He's got a ton of offense to help him out. That'll be a good thing for any starting pitcher up there. But it was just so frustrating just to see a guy who has so much talent, clear, clear talent, who just could not find the strike zone. And when you can't find the strike zone, you've got no chance. Yeah, I, that was the argument I remember when the Cubs signed him was like, look at his road numbers. He's got like a five ERA at home. He's got a three ERA on the road. But I was always like his walk to strikeout ratio is pretty much near identical on the road and on at home. And that's not, you know, something that really changes. I know some of the movement on your pitches changes in the altitude, but I always felt like the command is not really something that's going to change a lot between altitude and not. And so he always had high walk rates and he didn't really get a lot of strikeouts. So I was always kind of skeptical. I know the Cubs were big into the spin and they like the spin and he still has elite fastball spin, elite curveball spin. Personally, I know Randall was mentioning Yuli Strasin, but I was, and this is not because it didn't work out, but at the time I was a big Alex Cobb guy and he was coming off an injury. And I thought Alex Cobb would be the type of guy you could sign to be that kind of back-end rotation guy um, because they brought in the bigger name in Darvish. Uh, But uh, Cobb didn't work out either, so it's not like I get to take credit uh, for Baltimore. But, um, you know, I, 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 you mentioned he strikeout rate went up a big time last year and it was limited amount of starts, but he, he looked like the, a different pitcher to me. And like, he's always kind of on the edge. It feels like any minute he's going to get, 
just throw the ball anywhere and anybody is going to walk four guys in a row or something. But, and the one crazy thing was all the double plays he got. I remember people being like, well, his ERA is so low. He's walking five guys in five innings. And I'm like, yeah, cause he's getting these insane double plays that are not going to last at some point, the ball is going to be hit through the middle. But uh, I think he could still be a useful pitcher in 2021. It'll be interesting. I'm not sure the Cubs are obviously the right team. Change in scenery will be nice. He had some injury problems last year, so that's going to factor in. But the uh, Cubs still got to find some a number five starter or a number four and number five because this rotation, it's got some holes in it. Look at that transition from Jeremy going right into our next guy here. We shift gears. Guys, the Cubs are actually signing it. There have been a couple of people as some contracts have gone out. Uh, we'll start with this one. The former Cardinal, Shelby Miller, who, uh, if he makes the major league roster, he's got 875 k and a base salary, another half million coming in performance bonuses. The good and the bad with Shelby Miller, I think the good is he's only 30. The bad is he hasn't really done anything worthwhile in baseball since 2015. He's had multiple injuries, uh, sat out last year, sort of being cautious, coming back from injury. He had Tommy John, didn't want to mess around with COVID-19. Randall, uh, Shelby Miller, what are you looking for here? It's clearly a flyer that if there's anything there, it's a bonus. But you can't really be putting your hat on a guy here going every fifth day for the Cubs. No, and, and, and this is the kind of signing that I think we all expected is them taking flyers on guys who they hope can be uh, maybe swingmen, maybe give you two or three innings out of the bullpen if they make the team, maybe make a spot start. As you said, there hasn't been much to get excited about for Shelby Miller. Um, I don't believe he pitched in the majors in 2020, his last major league time with Texas in 2019. There, he simply hasn't been very good by any, by any appreciable metric. And, you know, he's, he's filler. He's a guy who will more than be more than happy to pitch in Des Moines. If it comes to that, it, it's not a whole lot to get excited about really. Um, it, there's more entertainment in remembering the brief overnight period many years ago where Baez had seemingly been traded for uh, a more in his prime Shelby Miller. And then that obviously did not happen. There, there's more entertainment value in remembering that than there is in, anything that you think Shelby Miller might actually bring to this team. And that's, again, I think that's what we can prepare ourselves for the, for what remains of this off season is more names that don't particularly excite, but they will be more than happy to go put on a Jersey in Mesa and then either get released or head to Des Moines when the regular season starts. Well, I, I do think I, I know I'm alone, but I, I do think there'll be a couple signings of guys that'll be, on the major league roster. I mean, one, obviously so. we'll they get don't have to. a left fielder. <laughs> right. I, I agree. I think there'll be a left fielder signing. Um, but Shelby Miller, you, you know, you brought up the bias trade. Uh, obviously the big part of the huge Dave Stewart tone of the Russo trade that might probably was the downfall of Danzy, Danzy Swanson and some other pieces going back to Atlanta. That was probably the downfall of their tenure in Arizona. Um, but Shelby Miller, it'll be interesting because we obviously don't know that much about Shelby Miller. We, we, we haven't seen him in two years. He hasn't pitched since 2019. When he pitched in 2019, it's, you know, there were issues there. So maybe there's something there. I'm assuming that the Cubs have seen something that they like or want to try out. So they'll have an idea for him when he gets to spring training. So it, it's a risk right now. We don't know who the number five starter is. So there's an opportunity there for a Shelby Miller to come in and be the number five starter. If he pitches well, um, or a couple guys and that are also in triple a at Iowa. 
So we'll see. Uh, I, I, it's hard for me to have an opinion on Shelby Miller just because there's so much unknown. We haven't seen anything. And so I don't have high hopes. I don't have, I'm not expecting anything out of Shelby Miller. So anything, if he gives us anything, it's to me, it's gravy. So hopefully maybe you never know. Some guys come in on minor league contracts and they, they perform. I do remember in 2003, uh, Esteban Loiza, who was ended up being the all-star game starter that year in uh, Chicago, Comiskey Park or U.S. Cellular Field. Um, he was a minor league starter for the White Sox year and he ended up starting the all-star game. So you never know who's going to come in and, and be somebody. Uh, but it's too hard for me to give an opinion on Shelby Miller just because we've seen nothing in two years yeah. or three years. There was no minor league season last year. He opted out of COVID. There's nothing to go off of. Right. And, and it's as low risk as it gets. There's nothing to lose mm-hmm. here. If he got, if he has anything, it's a bonus. If not, you don't lose anything. It's just sort of frustrating that this is the movement we've seen. When you look at this Cubs off season, they have subtracted a Cy Young runner up. Yeah. They added Zach Davies, but um, you're hoping for something a little bit more exciting than a Shelby Miller. This is fine when there's other things going on. The fact that there's nothing else going on, this is sort of uneventful. It's just not that, you know, big of a deal here. Yeah, there was a time when Shelby Miller was a very highly thought of guy. He was a yep. first round pick of the Cardinals. He was traded for Jason Hayward. So that'll be interesting because they'll be in camp together. They were traded for each other. Um, and he uh, he was a good pitcher. He was a young pitcher. He threw hard. He was from Texas, I believe. He could be the next number 34, hard throwing righty from Texas. Um, but uh, it's just maybe there's something there. I saw, um, I think he posted on his Instagram or somebody posted like some of his uh, Rapsodo numbers, um, for his pitching, uh, numbers. I was a little surprised. He was only throwing like 92 miles an hour, which seemed kind of low to me, but his spin rate was off the charts. It was insane. And now he was throwing in shoes, not cleats and whatever. So we'll see how that translates, but he did have insane spin rate. Now that goes back to Tyler Chatwood who has insane spin rate. So, you know, so there is still something there. It looked like he had great movement on his fastball. So we'll, we'll see. Maybe there is something there. Maybe there's something the Cubs who have their pitch lab can figure out. So yeah. we'll see. It's always cool too. When, when you do have a guy who he's got, he's fighting for his career at this point, if things don't work out now, he's got very limited opportunities to keep it going. So uh, pulling for him. I hope he can figure it out. If you had said to me six years ago, Ronan, are you going to be pulling for uh, Shelby Miller? I would say hell no, but that things change and uh, we wish him the best this upcoming year. Uh, he could be pitching to a new Cubs catcher who was brought in today. Austin Romine, the 32 year old veteran, longtime Yankees backup comes to town. It is a major league deal. Jeremy, can you, believe it the cubs are actually giving out major league contracts nobody uh, else comes over... central is giving out major contracts we should point that out cubs and, and out we got one cubs <laughs> yeah. are giving out two no two, two. jonathan holder and uh romine here so uh thoughts on him it, it seems like he's better suited as a backup if he's your everyday guy that's going to be bad news wilson is still the number one catcher for the cubs we all hope that's the case on opening day um but at least this sort of fills in the role that victor caratini departed when he was just sort of a throw-in on that garbage trade to uh, san diego yeah i think caratini obviously has i think caratini has a little more upside like he's a little more potential because Austin Romine probably is what he is. And Caratini has a little more positional uh, versatility, playing for space, doing some other things. But Austin Romine, I think, is a very solid backup. His two years in New York in uh, 18 and 19, that's basically what he was. If he could hit like that, I think he'll be fine. He's an above-average framer. 
He's a solid guy behind the plate. He has some pop. Last year, it was a very short year. And for a backup catcher, those numbers are going to be all over the place. So he had a knee injury too. And he got off to a pretty good start in July and August where he looked like how he was normally. And then he kind of had a knee injury and he had a really terrible 15 games in September. And that kind of threw his numbers off and, and he had what looks like a terrible season. So, but I, I think if you look, cause I don't really go back to 2020 as much um, just to maybe look at some of the underlying stats, like his exit below and stuff like that. And he hits the ball pretty well. He hits the ball pretty hard. He has some pop. He's going to, he's not a guy who's really going to get on base a lot, but he's a, for a backup catcher who has some pop. He has an above average arm. He's not a guy, hopefully they don't trade Wilson because he's not a guy you we want to see every day, but if he's making a start once every fifth day or whatever, as a backup catcher, I think he's a guy that is a solid player. And I think he'd be towards the, the top of the league as a backup catcher. Um, you know, top half of the league, I think as a backup catcher. Uh, yeah, earlier today, I believe, was that today or maybe it was yesterday that Jason Castro yesterday. Uh, signed Okay, signed with the Astros. He got two years, $7 million plus incentives from the Astros. And it seems very much uh, a, a situation where they simply couldn't convince probably the player they wanted a little bit more to take less mm-hmm. money. And the Astros were probably able to give him a little more guarantee as far as playing time. Um, and so Romine, you know, seems like their, their, their second or their third option in that regard. Jeremy said it already. He's a perfectly capable backup. If you end up going into the season, counting on him to get more playing time than that, you're probably in big trouble because that probably means a catching tandem of Austin Romine and PJ Higgins or, or something like that. And that would not be good for anyone. Um, so you, you certainly hope that the rest of the offseason plays out as it is right now where Romine is only being counted upon to be your backup to Wilson Contreras and not more than that. It, it's certainly not exciting to get overly excited about, but it is a major league contract, um, which I remember a time where that wasn't uh, the most exciting thing to happen in an offseason, but here we are. And so it's, it's simply bringing in a very capable backup catcher and not a whole lot more than that. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with you, Ronan, or excuse me, Randall, that uh, it does seem like that it does seem like that Castro was probably at the top of their list. Castro went somewhere, they gave him more money and went down maybe the next guy on their list and said, Hey, we'll give you this. And he came And I would also like to point out that he's uh, from a baseball family. His brother played in the majors, his father played in the majors. So he's been around the game for a long time. He probably knows the game. Well, it's a good thing for a backup catcher to have, you know, uh, as a guy who knows baseball and is very knowledgeable about the game. So I, ex- I expect, you know, a solid backup catcher. Yeah. And, so. we, and we know the Cubs top catching prospect, Miguel Amaya still needs a bit of time in the minors as he works out the bat likely to start in Iowa, I would imagine here. And then we'll see where it goes from there. There's no real reason to rush that right now. And they bring in a veteran who's had uh, certainly a fair amount of success in New York on some good teams. And he now comes to Wrigley on a major league deal. A couple other notes that we just wanted to touch in on when we did our like our warm up, our BP pod before we started really recording these and diving into it, we were speculating about whether or not there would be a full major league season this year. We had a 60 game season last year, everything that's going on with COVID distribution of the vaccine players are pretty adamant. They want to get paid. They want 100% of their salary this year. And it looks like full steam ahead. Spring training will get going here in a couple of weeks, full spring training, 
full 162 game season still kind of waiting on what's the roster size going to be. And it looks like the DH is probably off the table for this year, but at least we're starting to get some clarity that it's going to be maybe a regular looking baseball season. If, even if there aren't fans in the ballpark on opening day. Yeah. I, I think that's going to happen. I think I'm not exactly sure how spring training will look because I think that's still a little early, but I expect it might be a delayed start to the season. I, I could see that and they make it up on the back end kind of, but um, I, I think I expect a full season because I just not to get into other topics, but you know, the vaccine distribution, even if there's not fans, it, it seems to me like just based on the way teams are spending right now, because we all expected numbers to be crazy low uh, in free agency and they've gone up. They've uh, George Springer's getting $150 million. We're seeing some big contracts come out. So I think teams are operating and spending like they think they're going to be having fans in the ballpark at some point, getting a little more. And I think they will maybe not opening day, some places maybe, but uh, I, I do expect a, as close to a full season, normal season as you could possibly get. And you know, I, I'm, as, as we're saying, MLB intends to start spring training on time. I, I think that's going to be a very difficult time for major league teams. If you look at what the NBA is dealing with right now, where they're canceling seemingly three or four or five games a week because of COVID and contact tracing protocols. And if you remember what happened uh, last summer as players were reporting to their teams for the, the so-called summer camp, um, for spring training, you're going to have guys coming from all over the country where they've been doing whatever they feel like doing. Uh, and you're going to have guys coming from uh, out of the country, from, uh, from different countries. Um, you know, a lot of these guys are going to have to take airplanes to get there. It's not an option for everyone to just pack up their, their nice SUV and drive cross country. I think as you get players who are reporting to spring training, I think it's going to prove difficult for them to start as they would like. They might kind of get into it after players have had a chance to quarantine uh, and isolate. And if any of them do test positive, hopefully to make a full recovery and be able to get back to uh, spring training, which isn't always a guarantee because from what we know of COVID, it can have lasting physical effects, even after you've uh, cleared the virus and tested negative for it. And I think MLB is going to have a very difficult time as all these players are coming in from uh, different locations domestically and internationally. So uh, I don't want to say I'm curious to see how that will go because I don't think that sets the right tone, but uh, I, I think it's going to be difficult for them. I would just also, I would like to point out though, um, I agree with you, everybody coming around the country and around the world, even getting in that there will probably be some sort of intake testing where there will probably be some numbers that, although many major league baseball players got COVID last year. So yeah, who knows, but there will probably be some numbers. But the other thing I would like to point out is that, the speed training facilities, as opposed to the NBA is what's going on right now. Those could really be makeshift bubbles because everybody's going to be together in a, in a thing. So yeah, in the intake, I expect there to be a lot of numbers, but after that, they could probably turn Arizona into like a bubble at Florida. It'll be a little difficult, more difficult, but everybody should be together in a hotel room. Everybody's not going home to their, you know, home, wherever they're living, whatever everybody's, you know, and I, I feel like, at some point in free training, maybe a couple of weeks in, I, I agree with you. And I could see the season even delayed, as I said before. Um, players are obviously going to want 162 games after last year. So who, who knows? But the way things are going, I, we're getting 100, 
uh, excuse me, almost a million doses a day right now being administered, which is Biden's goal. And we should probably even be looking forward to upping that because we're almost doing it now. Um, so I, I just feel like the vaccine rollout, not to turn this into a COVID talk, but I feel like that's going to help baseball get back to normal. And I, spring training, I don't know how it'll look. It will look weird. I agree with you because that's too soon. But by April, by May, I do think we'll be starting the process of being what looks like normal. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, to piggyback on what you said about the vaccine, states are, are getting into their, their 1B phase right now where you, they feel that you vaccinated enough of the, the, the doctors, nurses, physicians, the, the very frontline individuals who need it most. And you're starting to get into the point where you're starting to vaccinate that second wave of people. So to go on what you said, it's, it's not difficult to see uh, a scenario where maybe by June or July, um, the, the greater public, including MLB players have started to get access to the vaccine. But even that might be, uh, might be disruption because the vaccine can have a limited degree of side effects. If you vaccinate maybe all 26 of your players and your entire coaching staff, if even five or six or half of them develop sore arms or very minor symptoms that linger for a couple of days, what effect would that have on a, uh, a major league schedule? So it's not as easy as vaccinating the entire league as supply becomes available. You have to work around that too. Um, so to continue what we've been saying, it's still going to be, I think, a very up and down season and difficult to predict. The light is there at the end of the tunnel, but we still have a fair ways to go before we get there. I, I would just like to say, though, that Major League Baseball is going to do whatever it can to pick up that check. So, like, they're going to try to get games out. And oh, yeah, there's no if a guy's got a sore arm for a couple of days, they're going to push through that to get as yeah. many. I mean, look what the NBA is doing now. They got, as you mentioned, Randall, they got guys all over. They have to change all their protocols, whatever. They are pushing forward. Yeah, there, it'll be a hiccup. There's I, no I disagreement think... there. They're going to do whatever they can. To, to get those games in for better or for worse. But it, it's at least going to resemble a full season again. We're working back towards normalcy in the sport. And uh, hopefully after navigating through the CBA, this upcoming off season, we're going to begin to see normal baseball, full Wrigley Field, uh, all the things that we love so much every day. Um, you brought up something though a minute there, and this is not a political podcast. We, we have no interest in getting into that stuff here. But, you know, inauguration week, I had an observation earlier in the week, and I think it needs to be addressed. All the pageantry Wednesday, a lot of people excited about J-Lo singing, you know, uh, Mrs. A-Rod, a lot of people excited about Lady Gaga singing. I watched her do the anthem. I said, oh, she's a wonderfully talented musician, but I said, you know what? She's no Wayne Mesmer. Nobody does the national anthem better than Wayne Mesmer. That was evident in our nation's capital on Wednesday. As nice of a job as Lady Gaga did, get Wayne up there with the beard singing. Oh man, that's what we need. And I cannot wait to get back to Wrigley Field and hear Wayne Mesmer sing the national anthem. There's nothing better than it. Nothing would unify the country right now more so than land of the free and home of the breathe. I, I, Wayne's the man. Wayne, Wayne's the man. And there's been a lot of hockey fans in this town that have been saying the, the Hawks guy's better. You're out of your mind. Wayne Mesmer is the national anthem. And if you want to see Wayne knock out a national anthem, that uh, NHL All-Star game during the Gulf War at the old Chicago Stadium, you fire that thing up and tell me that that's not the best anthem that you've heard. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and even the new guy the Cubs have, I go back to Wayne. Like, that guy – I got my my thoughts on him, but go back to Wayne because we need more Wayne. 
I no agree. disrespect to Kathleen. I just like me a plain Wayne. Just give me yeah, a, plain a plain Wayne, Wayne. on the anthem. Day baseball at Wrigley Field. Everything else is is gravy at that point. Ronan well, likes no. his mesmers like he likes his hot dogs. Plain. No, no, no. I, I do the ultimate Chicago sin and I slather it in ketchup and a little bit of a cheese because you got to put cheese on all encased meats. All right. But yeah, I put ketchup on it. I do. And uh, I'll, I just I uh, can't beat it. Vienna beef is certainly the way to go. One last real quick baseball note. I wanted to get this one in here. RBI baseball cover comes out for the new year. There is a Chicago athlete on it. It is not Javi. It is not Chris Bryant. It is not uh, Tyler Chatwood. It is uh, Timmy Anderson, Randall's guy down there on the south side, gracing the cover of RBI baseball. Pretty cool for Tim Anderson. And uh, White Sox getting a ton of love all around the sport these days. That's some nice face time for Timmy. And very cool for Ray Blunts. I know he's a big fan of uh, Tim Anderson, number seven. So, uh, you know, Tim Anderson seems like a good guy. I He did the bat flip, and then Wilson did the bat flip, and then they threw at Wilson. Didn't seem like Tim Anderson was a big fan of that himself. He thought it was kind of weird they threw at him. So I, I like Tim Anderson. He seems like a good guy. And, you know, he, he had an interesting upbringing. Wasn't really a baseball player coming up. So basketball player. So he, I, I like him. Anthony Rizzo graced that cover a couple years ago. Christian Yelich, Vlad Jr., uh, Ronald Acuna. So some big-time names. He's in that company. And, again, a lot of eyes on the south side. Uh, Jeremy and I had a little wager going on before the Darvish trade. Before the Darvish We were debating whether or not the Cubs or the White Sox would have more wins next year. I unfortunately said it's going to be the White Sox. Now I am certain it's going to be the White Sox. And uh, we will get Ray in here soon. We'll get him to talk about what's going on down there. And something I want to tease this right now for the audience and maybe force Ray to join us perhaps as early as next week. He went out and bought not eight, but nine authentic White Sox majestic jerseys. And I think that's a story that needs to be told. So we'll try to get him on next week. Talk about the White Sox a little bit. Talk about the Jersey hunt. And what are you, how many names can you fit on the back of majestic era jerseys? That's a very tight window from 2000, 2001 until 2019. And he'll walk us through that thought process. Yeah. I, I was the number nine. I thought he had some more before that as well. And there were four additional replica jerseys, replica. but I think those have been pushed to the side. Oh, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of that like next a total week. Of 13. There are 13 White Sox jerseys in his possession, and we got to figure out what he's going to do with it and how we got to that point as well. Yes. And uh, we'll also talk told. a little bit of Hall of Fame as well. Announcement coming up on the 26th. We'll see who gets in. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more the next time we come together. But uh, good stuff, gentlemen. Have an awesome weekend. We'll be back next week with another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball pod for Jeremy and Randall. This is Ronan. Have a good week, and let's see if the Cubs sign anybody by next week.